0: Hello and uh, welcome to this podcast, Uh, uh, the guest that I have with me today is someone I have been wanting to have as a guest for I think over a year at least in in my head, Uh, I I can't say that we are really friends friends in the sense that we are in touch very often but uh, through social media reading each each other's thoughts there is a sense of uh, bonding I guess. So, thank you so much, Nisha, for joining uh, and finding time today. Uh, Would you want to introduce yourselves before we begin the conversation?
1: Sure, sure. Uh, Thank you for inviting me. I'm very happy to be here. And uh, in by way of introduction, I mean, there is not a lot to say. But uh, I'm a self-employed person since the last 15 years, happily self-employed. I work as a brand consultant. And uh, over time, I have evolved from wanting to be an author when I think I graduated till now where I kind of work on the, the kind of work that I want to. So that's been my journey.
0: Okay. Um, one thing that I would want to tell my uh, viewers is that uh, one of the things that intrigues me about Nisha is the way she studies minds. Uh, for her professional understanding also and by her nature also she is quite curious to see what makes us tick and uh, the various manifestations of these uh, thoughts in her mind are studied by her in detail. So it is actually a pleasure. So I want to start on that note itself. When I was thinking what is the first question that I would want to ask Nisha if I were to meet her and so uh... <laughs> Being an intellectual person uh, of sorts myself, uh, for a long time I depended on books and uh, other kinds of information to feed my curiosity to understand human nature. I found that till I till I landed upon the journey to uh, read my own mind, there was this huge fight always because when the mind went, my mind went against me. I found it very difficult to deal with. It made me very vulnerable. The knowledge that I had garnered through uh, books or videos or... I had that at the tip of my tongue. But it did not help me when I needed it most. Uh, especially because I was a little... Uh, with a spiritual bend of mind. I had read a lot of uh, what does different religion... Uh, religious books say about things. But it never helped me when I was, when I was down, I found myself suffering quite a lot. So, uh, but I do not want to restrict it to the religious part of it. What is your understanding of uh, this kind of mind or learning?
1: So it's it's really an interesting question. And uh, you know, you mentioned mind and you mentioned books. And, And for me, the two are so much related. Uh, because I think that what we read actually shapes how we think and therefore whom we become and uh, for the longest time I have really sworn by books and to the extent that I think there was a time when if I wanted to write something in a presentation or I wanted to uh, quote something to someone I always wanted to make sure there were references so very particular that you know because there is knowledge that has gone before us and that knowledge can actually inform us and make us uh, do better in what we do. But uh, what what really mattered to me over time was uh, you know making sense of what I read for myself and, and finding my own voice. And and I think and I believe this is a journey for everyone. And I believe very passionately that everyone should have their has not should have has their own voice and their own interpretation of their journey. And, and what you've read actually is a filter that helps you to express this. And uh, so for me, uh, the journey has always been towards self-expression and uh, books are a way to understand one's experiences and books are only one way of self-expression. I think the strongest way of self-expression is what all of us do is that we go out there and we work or do something. So... You know, all of us are karma yogis in that sense, is what I believe. Uh, more than, some of us will have the privilege maybe of teaching others or imparting knowledge to others, but all the rest of us, we, we are on a journey, we are doing what we can, and uh, that is our experience. And And I think seeing oneself, for me at least seeing myself as a karma yogi, has, has actually helped in my thinking. Because... Uh, I find that when you are doing, it is very hard to over-intellectualize what you do. And uh, then whatever you look back and you write or you distill, it's based on the experience that you have had. Then then it becomes something that uh, can get expressed very simply as any sense. And, and then you are able to look back at what you read and say, hey, this makes sense. This, this matches with my experience. And uh, this is honestly the way that I have uh, deeply internalized and made sense of a lot of things that I read. So. Uh, I, I sometimes quote uh, from books that I've read. I think I quoted something by Michelangelo once. I quoted uh, something by some poet, and but but when I do that and I have experienced it, it makes a lot of sense for me. Whereas earlier I would just quote it because I loved what it was, but I couldn't relate to it. So I, I think that's the way that the journey has happened for me.
0: I think I think it's a beautiful answer. So many questions popped up at least every second line that you were talking about but i stick to uh, one that is kind of underlying the whole thing. It seems that uh, there are two aspects to uh, how you said that you've been learning. Uh, you use the word Karam Yogi. I do not want to use the word right now. Right now, because people may have different uh, understanding uh, that they bring to this word. So I don't want to load it with too much of knowledge as of right now. But in terms of uh, simplistic understanding that I took from your answer, one is that you start reading so that it gives you some context of what you're operating in uh, because initially when your mind starts searching for knowledge or truth of, or small truths even then you are not really loaded with the understanding that is required so initially you need to set that context and it is it's the seeking mind which keeps on reading and assimilating and figuring out okay this works with me this doesn't work with me this is my kind of stuff this is not my kind of stuff. So this is one part which I took from your understanding that you need to read or you need to assimilate so that you have a better understanding of the subject to start with. And as you go further and you you start questioning the knowledge itself also because you were, you did not mention it in these many words, but you start questioning. Okay, if this quote means something to me. Why does it mean something to me? And what is it that is happening? Uh, there was. I think a long time back, there used to be some kind of song show on some channel, which was being uh, hosted by Anubam Kheer for one episode. And he mentioned that uh, that the songs that we hear, they mean a lot to us very often. But uh, while he was just walking on the road and a leaf uh, from some tree fell on him and he had a friend with him who quoted a line from some song that they both knew. He said that day it started to make sense, okay, this is what the the line means to me. And as an experience, I thought it is so beautiful because you may know the words, but you perhaps do not understand the depth of meaning that they convey till you have experienced them, which is what you said. And the second part I thought, uh, which you did cover a bit, I wanted to speak a little more in terms of inspiration. Because if other minds have thought that what you have thought earlier and come up with certain kind of answers, good, bad, ugly does not really matter. They've come up with some answers. Then you do your own research and you come to either agreeing or disagreeing with it, which I think is, it helps you in the world, but it's not really important. The important thing is the seeking itself, you know, trying to keep on digging deeper. So my question to you, where does this inspiration become copying? And where does it become an original thought for you? So initially, if you related to it, is there any point? Is there any deeper thought that you give to it? Or do you stumble upon it? What happens? Is there any process?
1: So, you know, I'm, I'm going to, maybe I'll go off tangent. In fact, I have a habit I do that when I'm asked a lot is, of things. Yeah. But, but I think... Uh, So I mentioned Michelangelo, right? And The Agony and the Ecstasy is one of the books that I go back to every time. And it's the story of a sculptor. He has, his life and his talent has uh, no relation really to my life today or the work that I do, but it still inspires me so much. So Michelangelo says in that book that his teacher told him, get up every morning and draw your hand. And then, uh, you know, look down and draw your feet and he said that this will give you an exercise in perspective every day so for me uh, you know whether i look at it as inspiration or copying you know that could maybe come later but but what i like to do first is to get up and write something to get up and think something up and make a note of it and uh, i believe the practice is is very very important and uh, you know whether we will say or do something original it's, it's a very big question, because there are like seven, eight billion people on this planet, and all of them are creative, all of them have expressed, and we have been doing this through thousands of years. So, so somewhere this quest of being original can become egotistical. And uh, somewhere just looking at things and saying, can I do better, can I do different, can be very overwhelming. And it's, it's a topic for a different discussion, but I think sometimes that's where we get trapped in advertising, for instance, very often, that we have to do something different. What will we do? And that becomes a pressure. I think you have to do what comes naturally to you, which is, uh, you know, you use the analogy of music, which is so beautiful. I believe everyone is capable of making their own music. You have to get up and make your own music. And making your own music makes you happy. And when you are happy, then you will do or write something that is originally and beautifully yours. It will have your fragrance. And that is what is important. So they they say about fragrances, for instance, that I I guess you know, but most perfumes are using the same library of ingredients. Okay. But every year we have thousand new releases. And every time perfumes smell different to the people who use them. So why, why is that? And the reason is that the perfume smells different each time to the wearer, depending on his context, depending on the climate, depending on the clothes he or she is wearing, it will smell different each time. And people around will also feel that it smells new or different. Sometimes one perfume will remind you of other perfumes, right? And uh, but But you will still feel that this is something new and different. And that's really the way that I see human originality and creativity. Of course, things will lead to remembrances. Oh, this was in the past. This was done like that. But but you, as a unique person, have an ability to create something unique in this moment. And and it's true of writing also, right? Books will whisper to books. So something written today will always reference something that is in the past or sounds similar. But if you set out and you do what you feel authentically and intuitively, you're creating something fresh. And- I think that's the only way to exist and be a creative being today.
0: Yeah, I, I like that you contextualized uh, the next question in a way. Uh, before that, I would want to, uh, I want to agree with you on that point. That's what I meant by originality because still you stumble on your truth. In fact, I think uh, again, I would want to quote uh, Khalil Gibran who says, do not say I have found the truth. But say that I have found a truth, and I think it uh, it means so much every time I stumble upon something, and it in a way combines me. Uh, it it makes me bond with the rest of humanity on a level which is beyond this limited self that I carry in my head. So uh, that was this, and uh, the context that you said, uh, I want to go to the other extreme. You said you get up and write every morning, or You have a certain pattern of practice that you've started that kind of helps you, uh, uh, if I were to understand, ground you to the day of sorts. Okay. Now the question is really a little provocative in the sense, suppose you get up one day, you cannot write what you think for various reasons, or you are unable to do it, or something else has happened that is out of the ordinary to your day. Uh, how do you study yourself when the lack of expression is has been thrust upon you in a way how would you study yourself in that moment and before that if you could explain what do you really write giving us any semblance of understanding okay this is what you write every morning okay okay so
1: i'll take the second question first okay yeah which is what do i write every morning so so the truth is honestly Every morning, I may not be able to write in the sense like a finished post or something that goes up, yeah? Uh, But I don't also put a gun to my head to do it. Uh, I try to make notes. I try to read something. If I can't, if I don't feel like writing, I try to read something and see if I get inspiration. Or otherwise there are periods, like now I think for about a week, uh, I have not pushed myself to write every morning. And uh, there, there is a reason for this as well, okay? Because I think uh, the mind is such a thing that it can turn even a good thing into a trap for yourself. So, you know, if you're not writing every day, are you losing your creativity? Or oh, what is it now? You're so flighty, now you've moved yeah. to something else. So I, I don't want to become a victim to these kinds of things. So, so, you know, consistency is something that we have a lifetime to practice. And uh, it, it means that you don't have to be harsh on yourself if you're not doing great stuff every day. See, it's not going to happen. It doesn't happen in work. It doesn't happen in life. Every morning, you're not going to be the perfect spouse slash uh, father slash mother slash daughter. Uh, every day, you're not going to be the perfect, uh, you know, uh, solution to your client. You may do something that pisses off your clients. So so these things, these ups and downs are going to happen and every day you're not going to wake up at your creative best either. But but what I do say is that, um, you know, just like we say that if we are humans on this earth, we are there to serve other people around us. I think one thing that people forget a lot is that you're also here to serve yourself. You're also here to take care of yourself with as much compassion and love as you are asked and exhorted to take care of people around you. So, so, you really have to nurture and take care of yourself. Sure, there will be days when you are really lazy. And we needn't give it a big title each time, like saying, Oh, I'm down. I'm mentally depressed. I'm exhausted. You may not have big names. You might just not feel like doing anything. And you know what? It's okay. I, I would rather say every morning get up and do something really nice for yourself. It could be going for a walk. It could be having a cup of tea on the balcony among your plants and just looking out and watching the sunrise could be anything that you do but if you are not being creative in that moment nurture yourself so that the creativity can rise back another day because it will just just as the plants will grow if you water them and you're patient and you watch plants don't grow on a timetable right and i think none of us really know each plant grows at its own pace and its own speed. I have two plants of the same species. One is growing, the other is growing tantrums. So there is some mystery out there as to how that works. But it's it's the same with you as well. So, so I would say nurture it back and it will come back one day. So and, and this patience is something that I learned with age. Maybe particularly in the last two years during the lockdown, I, I really learned this. It, it was not there earlier, but I've learned to make
0: peace with this now. Oh, wonderful. I think you answered both questions in one longish answer. I like, I love the answer because uh, that's the reason why I wanted to talk to you because whenever I read any of your posts, I may or may not respond always. But uh, the feeling that there has been thought, there has been a lot of concern about using words for what they mean. And as a writer, they appeal to me. As a a reader, they appeal to me uh, that there is a lot of respect being put behind that piece, whatever it is. Even, uh, I think today or yesterday, you asked for some kind of help where some senior citizens had a problem at your place. Uh, Even that was asked in a fashion where you the vulnerability showed the, The you're asking for help, you're not putting yourself down, you're not making a big deal out of it, you're not getting into the complaint zone. You just worded it right. So I actually admire that ability and it's Is genuinely a gift as well as a uh, cultivated art, I would think. So, uh, I want to uh, ask you one question. I feel similarly. You use the word nurture, I use the word ambience quite a lot. Uh, Off late in the last two years, uh, the value bookshop started in the last two years. Uh, This was, I have gone through. Like I've shed tears in the first few times that I was thinking about it and I felt I'm selling myself out. How can I share this kind of stuff in the world? I'm not some kind of uh, guru. In fact, I spoke to a friend who was part of this initial journey. He put it in perspective. He said, "Uh, why do you feel that you are putting it out there? You just share what you have and then see what comes up. So that kind of removed the load of my chest in the sense of, okay, it's not me who is going to be speaking on one subject. And then the podcast fell in place and all kinds of things happened. So now my question to you is, I have this feeling of, okay, you know, very often we are so particular about the ends, that this result has to be there, that we forget that the means have to be as enjoyable. Uh, very crudely put the journey is as important as the destination or sometimes even more important because most of the time is going to be spent in this journey most of the time we are this post that you make that i am seeing the final result that all words are proper i don't think you put that burden on your head you over a period have decided no i am going to speak my truth I am going to be as precise as possible, maybe because of your profession, maybe because as a person, maybe because of your experience, the reason does not matter. You have lived it and you worked on it because it doesn't happen overnight. Like even if you were to look back at your uh, earlier writings, you might find I could have done better in terms of expression. So what do you have to say about this nurturing or this ambience bit? How does it help? What does one really do to create this thing for people who don't have such a habit or who don't understand this concept itself? Because we live in a world where everything is available at a click. So we predict that we ourselves are also some kind of machines and we click ourselves to be happy, click ourselves to get out of boredom, click ourselves to get out of this. It doesn't happen. Like if you say some answer here, which I do not have another question for, the first thing I feel is, oh, what am I going to ask next? But am I comfortable with it? Am I just, okay, let me see what comes up. Anyway, it's supposed to be an impromptu kind of uh, chat. So why do I have to take the burden? That ease has to be lived with. You cannot. So that ambience has to be created internally. You know? What can I do outside? I can fix the lighting. I can fix the internet, Wi-Fi, whatever. I cannot fix this unless I practice it. So what do you what do you do for creating this nurturing and this ambience? Uh, when the guy who's throwing tantrums, that plant of yours, what is it that Nisha really does with herself? You can't do anything to the plant. It's decided it's not going to grow or whatever. So what are you doing to yourself?
1: So, so first of all, I have to tell you that I love the thought of what you said that we are, we are just the channels, right? Yeah. Uh, we are just the channels for what is flowing through us. And in, in Reiki, we say that energy flows through us, right? Yeah. Which is, which is healing energy. So, so I think, and, and that's and what I love about your podcast also is that I think you see this as being a channel. Yeah. And uh, you, you and that's what I've seen in your earlier guests as well. So they express and they say what they feel is very spontaneous and free flowing. And it Really works because this is the first time I am doing a podcast with no idea what questions, even broadly, not <laughs> going to ask for what you'll cover. I've come in that interest. so I think you do a great job with it yourself. I just wanted to say that.
0: Thank you. Oh, I have had uh, guests but- who dropped out because of this one point. The people who agreed, they said, okay. You're not giving us an agenda, we are not coming up. And I said that there is no other. Uh, condition for this podcast but to be a guest you cannot be given a plan because i don't know the plan and i've had podcasts where i've planned secretly this is earlier obviously so i planned once and after the podcast i realized i did not ask even a single question according to plan the entire podcast was planned. so it is that spontaneous so thank you for that I, i i hope any guest who's willing after this also does know this one crucial fact because if it is planned i cannot ask you provocative questions then because then you will get offended and then the vibe of the podcast will no longer be authentic i will also censor myself you will i don't even edit it a lot of people have told me that the podcasts are not great in terms of technical this i understand but the moment i get into that mindset i am so tense that i just do not figure out how to get nisha out of nisha so to yeah get back to the question um, How do you manage to create that nurturing part when the things are not going your way?
1: So, you know, uh, again, I'll have a roundabout answer for this because the truth is that I'm still human. When things don't go my way, I still react badly. So maybe badly now doesn't mean frustration spilling out onto others or, you know, attacking a client. I've, I've learned over time that these are not the expressions. So I will keep it within myself, but I can still boil inside feeling bad about things, right? Yeah. And, and the truth is that this does happen to me. And the truth is a lot of the wisdom is retrospective. So after it's <laughs> over, I look back and say, I, should have done, I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> But but I hold on to one truth, okay, which, which mm-hmm. works for me and everyone has to find their own truth in a situation that ultimately uh, the integrity of the work that I do is between me and God and not between anyone else. And uh, what I try to always hold on to when, you know, it goes wrong with the client, with the deadlines and other people are not appreciating it is to say, can I still just look at this work and give it my very best? And you won't believe me, but this pays off that in very sticky situations, I have sometimes still had that client call me back later and say, we appreciated how you handled this. And uh, sometimes when it has been a really bad showdown with the client, we have still managed to pull something out. But but for me, that answer is having that integrity and answerability to the work, because sometimes you're not able to have that with the people and, for each person, it could be a different thing. For someone else, it could be maybe handling the situation very maturely, or the way they look after the different people and the way people are getting upset but you're able to calm them down. So I'm not able to do that. And perhaps I'm not even able to calm myself down. But I, I make it a rule that when I sit with my work, then all the concentration is only there. And that really helps me to read the situation. My answer is through my work when I'm
0: not able to answer through other ways that are satisfactory. Okay. Uh, I'm presuming that you take this habit to this question that I'd asked. Suppose the plant is not working. So you'll be just being patient and saying, let us see. There is a sense of pause you try and give. I want to uh, just go a little deeper in a more... uh, A subtle question here is the sense of not being able to deliver in some manner in spite of the work being so sacrosanct to you and very sacred way that you approach it. But sometimes we are unable to deliver what we had promised for various reasons. And how does, how do you make peace with the the humility that it forcibly brings upon us? That look, I am so well qualified for this. I have given my best. It should have cracked uh, well with the client. Everything is exactly how it should be. But the client or the situation doesn't fall in place the way I had envisaged. So, how do you make peace with that humility or what happens really then?
1: You know, I can so relate to this question. And uh, what happens as a corollary to this is that the client may sometimes seize on something else which you may think is not as good as the original idea or something that is very simple and say, oh, but this works perfectly. And then you're left thinking, did I overthink this was something so simple as this required? Uh-huh. And, and sometimes you wonder whether the other idea that was accepted instead of yours, was it like, you, you start questioning, maybe that's a bad idea, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so, so I work with two or three things when it comes to this, okay? Uh, first of all, I think we have to all accept that there is fundamental insecurity in everyone, and uh, it just manifests in different ways. Some people are very brash and overconfident, but is there underlying insecurity? Of course, there is. Uh, some people, and I fall in that category, are naturally more diffident, ready to listen, take feedback, and see. Okay, maybe I'm wrong, and and maybe that shows out there that you know you are you are a little diffident, you're ready to listen to others. Uh, both types of people exist. So so when something does not work out, it's usually your insecurity that is magnifying. This has not worked out. Yeah. And uh, the fact is that we we are not in a profession where our decision has cost people their lives or cost them their fortune or their health or anything. Thankfully, we are not in that. So most of us, there are some people who are, but a lot of us are not. We are not doctors. We are not lawyers. We are not, uh, you know, Uh, aeronautical engineers. So, So we are those type of people. So first, I think we have to accept that this is magnified by insecurity into something much bigger than what it is. And what it boils down to, at least in a democracy, is that there will be people's voices that will prevail and other people's thinking may actually be better than yours. Yeah. And and this is something I come across unfeelingly. At 46, it's sometimes a very bitter pill to swallow when someone who's 30 is thinking better than me. But it's entirely possible that someone who's 30 or any other age for that matter could think better than me. And I think then the shift becomes from saying, I created this to saying that I can facilitate this to be created. So I listen a lot more to people. I put together things that people say and I see, can I can I build on this? Can I actually do this? And this is something you have to start doing before the uh, coins drop, right? Before you get to the point where people are saying, oh, this didn't work out, you didn't do a good job. So I try to build that foundation more with people's thoughts as part of it, including people as part of it. And uh, when, when that happens, I think, you don't reach that stage where you stand feeling accountable for everything because then it's like okay we did this together how can we fix this so uh, that's really the shift that has happened. It happened for me listening and taking people
0: along with me this is beautiful uh, I want to bring up an episode that is happening recently in the last one and a half years me and a couple of friends have got together and we cook for over 100 people every weekend now we do it every weekend earlier it was every fortnight and uh, our idea was not to cook any dal chawal kind of thing. It was always going to be stuff that you would travel for. So for, say, if you and I were meeting, we would not meet at a roadside dhaba. I would want you to take out, uh, take you out for lunch in a good place, something that you would like, I would like, but specifically the food being good. So we decided we were going to, you know, we were sharing uh, burgers and bhaji and every fortnight was that and every week now it is shawarma and the works. One of us knows wow. reasonably well how to cook. Uh, although he's no, never cooked any of this. So in fact when he starts uh, then I'm saying then we are in a good space. That means we will do okay I guess. So there is no overconfidence ever and week after week we've been doing biryani, pula, you we'll name it we've done it uh all kinds of nonsense pizza we did last time uh we created a made to oven kind of thing which we just saw on the internet so it kind of worked and it's kind of crazy but i was since it happens in my area a lot of stuff i was doing was more about uh, arranging for things and some days i was getting very worked up that you know everything a lot of it is boiling down to the last moment in terms of arrangements. I have because I had to go up and down, up and down. Okay, Ye hai. Ye okay. Let's do this. I wasn't irritated really because this is something very close to my heart. I enjoy doing it. But I was a bit tired. I was feeling a little bit cheated. I wish I had planned a little better or they had told me earlier or stuff like that. But I actually landed up thinking what you just said. Listen, even if you get all of this, you can't cook to save your life. So the guy who comes and helps the cooking, but chalo, both of us getting together also can't do this alone unless the other guy who comes, one guy comes from all of the way from Ikatpuri every week to help. So, if, if, and he is the youngest of us, so the, the enthusiasm, the madness is fully there. Uh, my daughter is 13 and she joins in and she keeps playing songs and asking questions and talking about school and tests and teachers and frustration. So, all of it is really together a mix. You cannot take one part out and say that it works without that. In terms of why I wanted to bring this example is because it takes it away from the work that you and I do, which is a little similar in, in a way, uh, being connected to communication. As far as my own approach to communication is concerned in the in the way that you spoke of, one of the things I have realized is the guy who has the money, has the right to take the decision, I have made my peace with him. And I think because without his money, without his brand, without his backing what I'm doing, there is anyway nothing that I'm bringing to the table. Who cares? I'm not really you know, one of the biggies. Like if I were to write something, people are not going to roll over and say, kya aya, kya poet hai, kya ye. So I'm very clear. Okay, I bring something to the table. But that person has a right to either say yes or no. Because it is his brand at stake, his life at stake, his money at stake. Uh, I mean, I may want the best for him, but at times he has every right to choose. If I were to put a bad example, if he's buying one of the two shirts, he can buy the shirt that he looks lousy, in, man. But it is his money. What's my problem? So I find this helps me uh, make peace with, obviously, like you said, at the moment it happens, Internally, you're thinking, you see things, you're not understanding how much work is going in. In fact, you made one point that I want to take home and think over this. I have read about this, but it never struck me as it struck me today when you said it. We are not doctors or aeronautical engineers. No plane is going to crash because I wrote a bad line. I want to really stay with this. Because I have never, because of the amount of enthusiasm and enterprise and uh, hard work that one puts in, one expects something out of it. I think it's a wrong way to look at things. The perspective has to be again and again brought to 360 degree and saying, hey, wait, you are just one cog in the wheel. There are others who are also doing the same work, same investment, perhaps more. And they may be better or not is also not a question in my head because that I made with uh, peace with in a very different manner. I have said, you're going to work on, say, 60 jobs a year, big ones. there might be a lot but say 60 jobs a year of which you will get 2 or 3 jobs that are yours that you can own and feel happy about. The rest you are serving the society in a way that they are asking you to and in return they are giving you those 3 jobs to do which give you pleasure inside. Beyond that don't ask for anything more because that's the extent of your talent and the way you negotiate it. Because anything else can only spoil the vibe. I've been young and proud and arrogant Baba, too much. I've landed up saying things that I sometimes think, come on, man, how much But you feel strongly as, as a young person, you really want to own the work. You want to give your best. So I like what you said, and I will definitely mull on this part. Like every time a rejection happens, I want to go back to saying, just wait and just live with it. One question I want to ask you is, we are both talking nice, wise things. But in the heat of the moment, when, when that when the thing hits you, what is the first thing that you did? How do you calm yourself down? Because sometimes you have really invested a lot in it. Like there are jobs when you put everything into it. You really studied and you done your exercise as best as you can. And you come to the point where you think, to hey, so, mobile prize and they are saying, especially in your field where there is so much uh, hair splitting of every idea because you cannot just quickly say yes to something which is so subtle. How do you make your peace when you know you landed upon gold but nobody else is seeing the sheen?
1: <laughs> so this, this is actually like you said, you know, away from all the wise words this is where the rubber hits the road for all of us right so so I will tell you very honestly I may sit here and say wise things I may write wise things but in practical life I lose my temper with people way more often than I should and uh, they get to hear about it so (laughs) so and sometimes it's bad and sometimes it's not so bad or we are able to smooth it over but uh, I think there are Two things in this, okay. One is uh in the heat of the moment, you will end up fighting or saying something that you regret later. Yeah. Uh the the, the two important things here are first, I think, to forgive yourself. Because if you don't forgive yourself, make peace with it. And by forgiving and saying you acknowledge, yes, I screwed up and yes, it's okay. Both have to you have to make peace with both these things. Yeah. Uh, you won't be able to salvage that situation. Otherwise, you'll go back there and things will still be sticky or awkward. If you want to go back there, be graceful, say I screwed up, but I'll do my best, I think you can salvage any situation. Other people are also human. They also know that these things yeah. happen, right? Uh, that is one thing that you forgive yourself. And and I think the second thing is that then you have to drop it and not carry that forward each time. I had, I had written once that you know, we keep saying that we take forward learnings from one project to the next. So if I come and work with you, I'll tell you that I've worked on this category for 10 years in the past. I really know things about this and being in this category. But what, what I really like to do is to take forward personal learnings for myself from each project or each mistake and I don't do this often enough or rigorously enough, but I feel it's really important. So, what is the personal growth that I'd like to see for myself from that point to this point? And uh, this time, I actually did it, which is why I'm sharing it. So, there was a client where uh, things turned a bit sticky, and of course, we turned it around. We salvaged it. We closed the project gracefully. And next time, I said, "Okay, I remember the feedback that client gave. Let me apply it this time." Yeah, and and it worked in a mixed way because. The new client is not the same as the old client. So his expectations were a little different. (laughs) But still, I could change the way I did things thinking that this was what upset that client. Maybe I should take care of these things here. And it actually worked out really well. So I would say taking forward personal learnings or personal growth goals in each project for yourself versus just, you know, the goals of what you're going to add to the new project. This is something that works very well.
0: Yeah, this is so beautiful because this reminds me we had gone to a client, me and my partner for that project. Uh, sometimes you already invested even before the work has started uh, because you're going to a new client, you want to, uh, you are enthusiastic. You obviously hope to get the business. You're trying to do a lot of work. The client ended up uh, mentioning some uh, a very piddly sum for the work. And my art director immediately said, uh, no, but so the client landed up saying, you always start with saying no, but you never even uh, question the fact that it could be done not." While that job he did and he did it for the Piddly sum we never got any other business from the guy and it was not a very happy experience. Some part of that was true, I thought. And yet, like you very rightly said, you know, the shoe doesn't fit every time you go to a new job. The other client might deserve a no also. You've got to be so I like the fact that you've got to acknowledge your own feelings, forgive yourself, uh, be honest. I think I write very good apology meals. <laughs> now when you were talking, I just remembered a couple of times things have been when you're partnering someone, say you're working, say both of us work together. Obviously, I come to you or you come to me because of seniority of experience, and you expect a certain style of work, quality of work, uh, delivery on time, uh, a certain professionalism. But it may not happen for some reason. At that point of time, you may not deliver, or I may not deliver, and you are supposed to face the client. At that point, it's very important to you know stand up and agree. Okay, we may have screwed up, but we. We need to apologize in a manner where we don't go so much on the back foot and we cannot work only. The condition needs to be balanced out. Uh, having said that, yeah, um, one uh, last question that I want to ask you in terms of this entire experience of a uh, lot of examples you shared, a lot of experiences, lot of value systems that have held you well, uh, your outlook, your perspective about being a karma Yogi, that is what you started. Is there a sincere build-up to something? Is there a a goal of sorts? Is there a... Like when you come across as wise, it's not just... There are times when we act wise when you're not, but in the podcast, I've often found that people are... um, People are far more honest and authentic than... uh, Then they are when, even when we are talking normally off camera, it's very difficult on camera to come out and be honest. But in a way, maybe there is some goodness in the the intent itself that keeps working on all of us, including myself. It gives me strength to say my truths. Even when I, sometimes I look back and I say, are you mad? How can you talk this on camera? But I am happy that I do so because the idea is to give strength to other people who may not have the strength. And they may not be connected to us in any manner. Some random, because we're putting it out on social media, some guy watching YouTube, going through a bad time, sees this and says, it just worked for me at the right time. That's the intent. So my question to you is, this wholesome persona that we end up building over a period of time, where a lot of work goes in, some part of it might be fictitious, sometimes fictitious in the sense it is inspirational. It's not yet there in us but we are working towards it. But on camera, we want to say that we are this because we want to give ourselves the confidence. It's not really a lie, lie. it's is that, no, I want to work on this. I'll, I'll say this here so that I do this. So is there something that you do? Uh, I have met other people of your age, and I can tell you, there are a lot of people who don't think this is an important subject at all, to work on oneself mm-hmm. or, or something. What is it that prompts this thinking is one question and the, the correlated question is, is there any defined thing that you do or is there any practice that you do to, you know, get into that mindset, no, I'll be a better human being, I'll be a better understanding more wiser, calmer, is there anything that you do at all?
1: So- one thing that has helped me a lot and it's actually changed me over time and it takes time for things to change you and that is meditation and I've been doing it I think for about 15 years now and Mm -hmm. I won't say what kind of meditation what but uh, if you look at a common thread across be it yoga be it anything else there's an emphasis on breathing yeah and, and there is a scientific basis to saying why you should breathe because oxygen into your brain and your system literally helps you think better.
0: Mm.
1: So, so I think that practice is very helpful for everyone uh, to calm down, to slow down, to empty the mind. I'm not great at meditation or anything, but I think those 10-15 minutes every day, they calm me. But I think the bigger question that you asked, that, you know, what, what really works is, And this is something I think everyone can do and it's again a principle that I learned in Reiki which is uh, we say you should live with the attitude of gratitude. And uh, I I think when I shifted into the virtuous cycle of gratitude versus the vicious cycle of insecurity or questioning or dissatisfaction, I was a much happier person. Perhaps compared to a lot of people, I may not have a lot of things to be grateful for. I live in a one BHK flat. I have a small car. I've I've been trying to see if I can afford a bigger home, but probably what I'm earning now, I can't. And uh, in the last year of lockdown, I've put on a lot of weight. And no matter what I try, I can't shift it. Okay, I keep trying and the scales don't shift. And I have my moments of frustration, anger about all of these things. Like, why is it so? But, but it always comes back to me to saying I'm grateful that I'm able to get up and move this body. I'm able to do 20 Surya Namaskars. I'm able to walk. And uh, that there is a fine, healthy body that will respond if I treat it right. And by you know feeding it uh, stupid things for the last two years and then expecting it to shed its weight immediately, I'm being unreasonable. But I can be grateful that it wants to support my effort to try. Um, Yes, it could be a small house, but yes, I don't have to worry about loans and other things that are a burden for a lot of people. So so I think being able to have that gratitude for the situation has really helped me to make my peace with a lot of things. Uh, It's always tempting to think one could have been somewhere else or better than where one is. So I could have been the head of planning in a business. I could have done something else, but I'm very happy with not having a boss. And uh, once I'm very clear that this is what I'm grateful for, then I think other things kind of recede. uh, What could have been, what is not. Because what I have is something so substantial. And uh, this becomes a very strong base, I think, to work happily, to live creatively, and to be able to give something of yourself to others. You have to live with that gratitude and that acceptance that what you have is enough. And... uh, you have to always see yourself as, uh, as wanting to be a bigger channel. So if you can be a bigger channel, more will come to you because that is how more will go to others. And I think if, if these are the things that one keeps in mind, it's easy to be happy with where you are. And I am nobody to say this. I have seen people uh, who are in a worse situation than me financially or they, have, uh, they are caretakers to aiding people in their lives who are incredibly cheerful and positive. And uh, I think, you know, when you, when you look at people like that, it's also something for you to say, hey, what do I have to complain
0: about? I think I like the fact that you did not only put in perspective the smaller parts that are required the gratitude, the acceptance, the contentment, the, the sense of what to be thankful for, how to be, how you particularly are practicing it in a way. But also the holistic understanding of, okay, these are all actually uh, emanating from the source of trying to really work towards yourself in terms of, okay, this is what I have. So I accept this, what is good about it? And then start working on perhaps what is not good. So there might be a need. I can tell you the opposite is true. I have a larger flat. Is every day I get... Uh, by my mother, that is not clean enough. Your room is like this. Your room is like that. <laughs> How much ever you work, you put in, and I get yearning, resolve ho jata. Ye bada hai, nahi hota uh, So there is there is this sense of uh, I learned this. Uh, I had gone to some kind of meditative class many years back, and uh, while I was not part of that particular class, that this assignment was given. The assignment was uh, you scrub your floor for a week. So one girl had actually particularly said that okay, I hate my flat, it's too big. And for the first time I heard somebody in Bombay claiming that they are unhappy about having a bigger flat. <laughs> so then you suddenly realize that yeah, man, you can be thankful for smaller things and it's alright. It's cozier. Uh, um, I have another thought about bigger flats is that it actually separates family members too much. Everybody has their own rooms. So You'll end up... Uh, uh, not connecting as we did when we were growing up, one day we connected all and we all had to sit there, watch the same program. There, no, there was no democracy in that sense, except the fact that you could participate. <laughs> yeah. it's, a, it's been every bit uh, worth the wait that I have waited for this uh, particular question answer with you today i kept thinking many times what would we finally talk about and i had no clue there was a understanding that okay she has a very good mind and uh, you would throw light upon things in a uh, you know you have this uh, beautiful talent of simplifying very profound concepts which is very difficult to do and i find myself struggling with doing the same at least i talk better than i write in that sense so when i write i end up being more complicated i at least that's what i think so in that sense i think uh, it's been worth every bit thank you for taking the time nisha uh, i'm glad we had this talk today
1: thank you uh, thank you so much for inviting me it was really a privilege and i just wanted to say that when you write it's not complicated it is, it is very easy to understand and i think what you do is really amazing and uh, It it, you know, doing these podcasts just comes from the spirit of saying we are channels or mediums, we are trying to put out something good in this world. So, I think it's amazing that you do this and uh, all the best with it. Thank
0: you. Thank you so much. Bye. I'll see you around.
1: Thank you. Take care. Thank you. Bye.